Hi everybody and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. It's Toby Miller here. I am in New Orleans at Tulane University and I am in the office of Professor Ezra Ozjan. How's yes. that for pronunciation? It's wonderful. That's it's not too correct. bad. Okay. It's good. <laughs> Ezra, tell me what you're up to these days. What are you doing? I know you're doing a lot of teaching. I'm doing a lot of teaching. I'm teaching a class on uh, communication studies. Mm -hmm. This is uh, a class on introduction to communication right. and introduction to our department as a whole. Mm -hmm. Preparing students to the higher level courses. Right. And in addition to that, I'm teaching a class on uh, for the program of gender and sexuality studies, mm -hmm. and it's a that's an upper level uh, course on feminism and Islam. Mm -hmm. And so I offer it once in a while yeah. when the uh, Gender and Sexuality Studies program yeah. wants, to, wants offer to offer it. it. Mm -hmm. I may not be offer off, offer it again in the future because uh, I I will be working exclusively for the communication, the communication department part. as of mm -hmm. uh, fall 2015. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and Ezra, I think I'm right in saying that, like me. You're a rather unusual person teaching in the U.S. Is that in that most of us who are from another country studied here, but you didn't, did you? I didn't. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to ask you what that's like because it's so rare to find a foreign academic in the United States who didn't do their PhD here. Yeah. If you were in Turkey or Germany, which are the two other countries I know you've lived yeah. in as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would be different about what you would teach in communication studies or what you would teach in gender and sexuality studies, for example? And for me, I mean, since I started teaching here in 2012, mm -hmm. I mean, it's been a great experience. It's been a great learning experience. I feel as if, you know, I feel as if I had a second PhD since I moved here. Mm -hmm. And... I think the uh, profiles of students would differ mm -hmm. in Turkey as well as in Germany. In Germany, I graduated from Jakobs University Bremen, which was established as International University of Bremen. Mm -hmm. And so they, their aim was to attract students from, from all over the world, and they managed to do that. Mm -hmm. And so... We had a very diverse classroom, right. like students right. ranging from Hong Kong to India to Romania. And taught all taught in German? No, in English. In English, because that in was English. going to be the likeliest language of communication for people with such backgrounds. Yes, and mm. it was it was an ex experimental mm -hmm. model in mm. uh, within the German academic system. And in Turkey, I would teach teach to to a group of uh, students from mm. Turkish backgrounds, right, ethnically right. mostly. Mm. Mm. Uh, the main challenge uh, for me was uh, that I mean the higher education institutions they mm. switched to English more and more as the medium of education, but at the same time. Uh, not all the students were prepared mm -hmm. to, to follow lectures and classes mm. in English. So that, that was a big challenge for 
for educators uh, in the universities. Mm. And I think that would be the main difference. And, mm. and of course, th that places me in a different position. In, in, in Turkey, I, I was speaking to a group of non-native uh, speakers. Yeah. And now here I'm uh, speaking to a group of yeah. native speakers. Mm, mm, big difference. Would you be teaching a course like Feminism and Islam in Turkey or Germany? Would that be on the curriculum? Or would it be so obvious that it wasn't necessary? Or? No, I think I, I think it can be argued for. Mm -hmm. uh, in mm. in Germany, I believe they would be interested in mm. such a course. Mm. Uh, but I think the, probably I mean I do the same here, but mm. probably I would uh, place most of my efforts to be able to break some very deep rooted stereotypes mm, that are in place here in place in Germany in place in Germany in place in Germany right so uh, I mean when when I lived in Germany the stereotypes against uh, Turkish guest workers Turkish immigrants and Muslim immigrants in, in mm -hmm. general I found them very strong yes and uh, here I mean there is this media discourse on Islam, Muslim women, how they are oppressed, but it is not as strong. Yeah, yeah. And, and the students uh, come to my class with a desire to, to, to be challenged. To be challenged, to learn something, yeah. and it's not as though they come with the same prejudices that would be the case in Germany. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes. I found it fascinating at the International Communication Association meeting in London a couple of years ago. I don't know if you were at that. I was, I was there, yeah. Maybe we met, maybe we said hello or encountered one another then. At some of my white liberal US feminist friends who were visiting London, who were deeply challenged in unpleasant ways by seeing women not only veiled, but sometimes wearing, I mean, the whole deal, so even mm -hmm. having... Mm -hmm traps over their mouths so they weren't speaking, right? I mean, very serious stuff. But even the, the fully veiled look uh, was so confronting for them, they couldn't cope with it. Whereas living in London, it's completely normal to see that. Yeah. You know, it's completely yeah. normal. People might think about it oddly inside, but basically that's part of being on the bus. Yeah. And I think it is, it is important to speak to those women Mm. And I'm, as far as I know, the full body covering, mm. like covering including mm. the face and, and the mouth, mouth, is relatively little, like not, not even relatively, it's very little. Mm. Maybe 1% of uh, Muslim women in, in Europe uh, wear what is called in, in some instances, niqab. The niqab, yeah. Niqab that uh, full uh, body covering. And I've, I've been thinking about that, and mm. I remember uh, talking about that instance. And I I think the, like the liberal, progressive uh, feminism mm. is, is kind of appalled by... Uh, conservatism yeah. and patriarchy when it is embraced by women. Yes. 
so it is it is not even it is not just the case for uh, Muslim women, but it is it is the case for uh, some women in the West. So I, I some Orthodox Jewish women, for example. Some Orthodox Jewish women, some mm-hmm. very conservative Can, Christian. Some nuns. Some nuns. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I I be thinking about how to. You know how how to kind of recategorize and mm. shift our mm. thinking mm. In, in relation to uh, feminism's relationship with different types of women. Yeah. So so when when uh, a progressive feminist mm. from from the United States when she travels to Britain and mm. uh, sees a fully whaled woman. Uh, in the subway, yeah. does she think this is a Muslim woman, mm-hmm. or does she think this is a conservative woman, mm-hmm. religiously conservative woman? And I feel if I mean in in terms of defining those instances mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. uh, a particular religion or or a nation. Uh, but instead of like political alliances, instead of uh, what kind of conservative religious ideology people embrace and uh, what their attitudes towards the family are, towards abortion, uh, towards the role of man in society or part- patriarchy, I think then we will have a different picture. Mm. So maybe, mm. maybe if you look at it that way, we will see a very right-wing, uh, conservative woman mm. from the U.S. Uh, in in proximity to to a conservative Muslim woman from, let's say, Britain. Mm. Does yeah. it make sense? Yeah, sure. I think this continuum is a very helpful way of thinking about it. Definitely, and but it is such a shock to so many of these people. Mm-hmm. I've seen them and heard them talk yeah. about it. And I've I've just been struck by the fact that apart from anything else, it means they just don't experience that very much. And so it's not something they can put on a continuum easily with, say, a nun or a, an Orthodox Jewish woman. I mean, as two examples, there are plenty of others. Yeah. yeah. Visuals are different. Yeah, the visuals are different. And I think even I begin to worry when the mouth is enclosed, mm-hmm. when speech itself... Yeah is rendered close to impossible. That is a little far for me to cope with. I've never seen this myself. Like, I've, it, is it something physical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a cage put, okay. restrains the mouth okay. from speaking. That's really confronting. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know. Yeah. Um, so the niqab I see every day in London, uh, it's quite, it is very common. But I don't know what the numbers are, but certainly in terms of the anecdotal diurnal experience it's very very common but the apparatus to constrain speech i see very rarely Mm -hmm. very very rarely i mean once every six months and that is the one where i think that goes beyond what i'm used to in in religious conservatism in a in a society that avows liberalism i find it that's the only thing i find challenging to be honest yeah 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 Um, that's the only thing yeah but 
enough of me, even though this is a fascinating topic in my eyes and in myself. No, it is. It is a let, fascinating let, topic. Let, let's talk about this in terms of your research, because one of the other things that you do, and I've read an article of yours in, I think, Feminist Media Studies, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is engage some of the questions of dress and their relationship to gender. Could you tell us about some of your work in that, in that field? So that article in uh, Feminist Media Studies is about the uh, representation of Muslim women in German news media. And uh, so when, when I started looking at the images, I uh, noticed a pattern in the representations. Yes. And I started working on that. Mm. And after, after that article, I mean, it, around the same time, I was uh, writing my dissertation about the uh, representations of gender uh, in Turkish newspapers. I completed that project and then moved on to uh, an extension mm -hmm. of that project. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, uh, I mean, e even though I looked at the same thing more mm -hmm. or less yeah. so what is the uh, woman in both case cases woman in german media and woman in turkish media yes. and in both cases i looked at the uh, headscarf representations no. of the headscarf no. and whereas in germany so this is more the represented connected with the representation of migration mm -hmm. and a certain vidification of uh, Islam and Muslims uh, through the representations of gender and Muslim women. Uh, the picture in, in Turkey was much different. Mm -hmm. It was different in the sense that now, uh, since the last 12 years, there is uh, the Justice and Development Party in power. And so th they have been changing the uh, structure of institutions and structure of Turkish society quite a lot. Mm. So there now, the uh, headscarf, I mean, it was again marginal during the secular kind yeah. of uh, phase of Turkey, let's say. And now it, it has moved to the center and has, has become kind of the women in the media who, who write and who are power, powerful and uh, who are very visible mm. are wearing it. All of them? Not, not all of them. Not but all you of can them. be on TV and be a journalist without a headscarf. Yes, of course. Of course, right. they're still the mainstream. Right. They're still the mainstream. Yeah. But there is this post-secular world. I mean, that's the funny thing for someone like me, who grew up believing we were headed towards what Max Weber called the disenchantment of the world. Yeah, yeah. But we're not. It's the re-enchantment of the world. Yeah. There's a brief secular moment when people like me think, aha, this is wonderful, this mad superstition's going away. It hasn't gone away, it's come back. And you've only got to live in the United States for a, a month to realize how powerful and vicious and violent religion can be, as well yeah. as compassionate, decent, caring, yeah, yeah. But, and how fundamentally patriarchal monotheism is, whether it's Jewish or 
Islamic or Christian, but also how monumentally misogynistic pantheism can be, take Hinduism, just how horrifying <laughs> so much of this is in terms of the desire to control women and their sexuality as a, an epicenter yeah. of the mission of all these, almost all of these religions, or all, most of their incarnations. And in the Turkish case, one of the interesting things that you deal with in your, uh, sorry, in the German case, one of the interesting things you deal with in your article is coverage of the wearing of recreational clothing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So... So why recreational clothing? Well, bikini. Ah, uh, bikini. Yeah. yeah. So I, I refer to bikinis because uh, in the uh, in those representations, usually the images of uh, the headscarf mm. and the covered woman was mm. uh, were juxtaposed with with a, with an image of a woman in bikinis. Was it? Yeah. Oh, how interesting! That's right. Of so, course, I'm remembering now because it's so, a while since I read this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This was this was one of the recurring themes. <laughs> so it is it is used to emphasize difference, mm. and so it was put in in this stark contrast. Mm. Mm. And I I remember uh, presenting one of the earlier phases of uh, that work uh, in uh, in a conference and. One, uh, I remember one woman from the audience and she mm. said, she was from Germany and she was like, I can't believe German women are represented with bare legs only. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it is, it is a way of stere stereotyping, yeah. not only... Uh, the Islamic woman, the not Turkish only woman, the, but also yeah, the Islamic German. woman, but yeah. also the German woman. Yeah, yeah. And that what? freedom is to be free for, to the male gaze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what you talk about this uh, enchantment and disenchantment mm. reminds mm. me how I kind of grew up and educated uh -huh. yes. in Turkey. And so I, and this is, I'm, I haven't written anything about it yet, but this is one of the questions that... Uh, that is in my mind most mm, of the time, mm. and in in Turkey when when I was growing up and throughout my education, so we uh, we grew up with this idea of the contrast between the East and the West, mm -hmm. and the West was this uh, ideal place uh, that has made it, and it is better than us, right, and. We are going to catch it. Aspire to be part of it. Yeah. To join the European yeah, Union, for example. To join the European example. Union, for mm -hmm. example. So we aspire mm. to be part of it. And Turkey has a long history of westernization. Mm -hmm. and Secular military. Secular military and mm. a series of westernization reforms. Secular constitution. Mm. And so... the. There was this idea that they, they did it and we didn't. Of course, the uh, downside of it was that there was this constant, uh, I would say, lack of self-confidence. Mm. That, mm -hmm. okay, on the one hand, there was this aspiration, but on the other hand, there, there was this, uh, we will never be able to make it. Mm. This, 
this sense of frustration. And so, I mean, when I moved to Germany and later uh, in my journey here, I kind of tried to, uh, I started going back to that idea again and again and kind of see how it colored our perspectives and not in a very good way. In the sense that it brings that, like it is, it is a lens and through this lens, I mean, on, on the one hand, there are some groups who idealize the West and there are some others who, who think uh, all source, source of evil comes from the West. Mm -hmm. And uh, here there are the other types of stereotypes like right. this. History of Orientalism, looking mm -hmm. at the Orient in a particular way. And I've been thinking about trying to break this dichotomy. Mm. And I mean, I, I would love to have it erased in our language altogether because increasingly in a globalized world, this, this doesn't apply. But mm. whenever I go to Turkey, I, I encounter this. So there are, there are only two extremes. West as beneficent, benign, ideal world, and West as demonic, wicked, diabolical agent of evil. It, it depends on the group, it depends uh -huh. on the politics, it depends on the rhetoric, but there is this over-idealization mm. of the West mm -hmm. in the sense that whenever I uh, talk to my friends about, about the problems, mm that we experience here, they don't believe me. So according to them, here the health system is perfect, no. and in schools there, there are no flea attacks. Yeah, there are no infestations there of are no, insects. Yeah, there are no inf infestations mm. of insects, and mm. it is really this wow. idea... The streets are paved with gold. Kind of. Crazy, crazy. And I think, I mean, this this ideal has been there, but it has been collapsing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So with this, with with an increasingly connected world, I mean, one one problem here affects all other people in other parts of yeah. the world. Yeah, it's more interconnectedness, interdependency, yeah. and familiarity. Also, yes, right? yes, yeah. and so on. On the one hand. So this this over idealization brings mm. like problems, lack of mm. national self confidence, whatever. Right. But at the same time, this ideal is needed to aspire to. But it is kind of collapsing. It's collapsing. And what do your friends? What do you make of Erdogan, for example? I mean the. Uh, my friends around me in, in Turkey, we are all very critical, mm -hmm. unhappy, concerned. And so, I mean, I've, I've been looking at the next elections mm. in June, and I see a lot of pessimism about it, but I see some optimism as well that 
the uh, power structure that the that Erdogan created might shift. Mm -hmm. So I think the coming elections will be very very interesting. Crucial. Oh, crucial! All oh, right, so yeah. more than interesting. Yeah. More than interesting and yeah. crucial for for the future yeah. of the country. How far he will take things? How far he thinks he can go? I think he can he can go as much as he can, mm. and he mm. is he is already going like Suleiman the Magnificent. Suleiman the Magnificent. <laughs> I think that this this is related about this self confidence thing that uh -huh. I've been talking about yeah. because yeah. I mean at the in the absence of a model to yeah. aspire, yeah. then then the. A politician like Erdogan turns to a mythic, misrepresented past. So the Ottoman Empire's world yeah. is yeah. the great mythic historical event which can be drawn upon to exactly. regenerate national identity. Yeah, right? and national identity and national self-confidence, let's right. say. National and he has yes. this imperialistic dreams. Mm. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm. he wants to be mm. the new... One of the, he wants to be the new leader of the world. I think his ambitions yeah. is uh, are beyond Turkey, and so this this lack of self confidence that I've mm -hmm. been talking about, mm -hmm. so it can mm -hmm. be, I mean, related with the uh, Turkey's relationship with the European Union, yes. and it was a, I mean, it it has been a strange relationship. So Turkey. Uh, I felt rejected a lot of times, so there's this... It's complicated, know, because it's just complicated. for listeners who don't know about this, so Turkey's applied a few times, and the problem with its application is a strange mixture of coups led by the secular liberal military, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which go against what the EU says it will accept, and issues to do with human rights. Meanwhile, of course, it has these astonishing members, you know, madness, everywhere from Britain to the newly accessed so-called countries of Eastern and Central Europe. And, of course, the other thing is that Turkey's been a NATO partner for a very long time, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, a staunch ally of Israel, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And continues to participate with slash collude with the British and the U.S. in their assaults on the Arab world. So, And, and that doesn't really shift even under this regime. I mean, Erdogan strange relationships with Israel quite yeah. a lot. So I think it's... it's yes, yeah. but they're so. still allies. I mean, they, they still have the best relationship with any major... with the with any major Islamic power, Israel, with Turkey. They, You know, things are strange, but the United States remains some kind of broker, mm -hmm. you know? And so Turkey is very split, even at the policy level, no? I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and f for me, it's become very difficult and confusing to mm. follow yeah, yeah. what has been going on uh, in terms of Turkish foreign policy, mm. Mm. and so it's not clear to me to me to uh, what kind of alliances right. they enter in and with whom. So they they established a very problematic relationship with ISIS yeah. and and with 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 Syria uh, in in the last couple of years so and they're in a situation where they have this gigantic refugee population yes yes 
gigantic. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of, of thousands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you go to Istanbul now, I mean, you will see hundreds of Syrians on on the streets, mm. everywhere, in every neighborhood. You will, mm. you will see them. Yeah. So uh, remember, I uh, again, I'm kind of coming back to this. Uh, East and West mm, thing, mm -hmm, this relationship. Mm -hmm. So, Europe used to be the ideal. I mean, Europe used mm. to be the ideal in one sense. The states used to be another ideal for uh, for different things. But now, the way uh, Europe, European countries, deals with their minorities, mm. uh, the way they deal with uh, their problems and the uh, like the human rights mm -hmm. issues that emerge in in the United States. So mm -hmm. all these lead to the questioning of this kind of idealized yeah. model. Yeah, absolutely. So and I, I think this the vacuum that, that mm. this creates also uh, provide a fertile ground for mm. extremism for radical, mm. militant moments. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it's, it's an interesting vacuum, isn't it? Yes, and what is going to come in and fill it? The thing is, what would Erdogan think of ISIS if it were actually seeking to destabilize his kind of democracy? He wouldn't like it very much. He'd stomp them, he'd stamp them out. Yeah, but he's, he's not in favor of democracy. Well, put it this way, the democracy that works for him. Yeah. Uh, but he wouldn't, I mean, his version of the world may be somewhat similar to theirs, and he provides support in certain ways, I'm sure, um, as do the Saudis. I mean, it's a, such an unholy alliance that seems to keep ISIS going, mm -hmm. as does, of course, the oil industry, which is crucial to its successes economically. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are contradictions there. No political regime likes to have crazy destabilized guerrilla forces within their borders yeah. <laughs> doesn't work for them. The military wouldn't like it very much yeah, yeah. also. So. Yeah. In, sorry, go ahead. Erdogan has a very neoliberal outlook yeah. and a couple of days ago he, uh, he told that he would love to manage the country as like a firm. So, really? Yeah. And he, <laughs> he said it. And so that, that, that would be his ideal model. Right, 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 right. Like an associated firm, uh -huh. like with stakeholders. And so that's, that's his vision, kind of. Good luck, buddy. It has nothing to do with citizenship, democracy, citizenship, participation. Democracy, no, no. Wow. And uh, getting back to gender issues, if I could, what do you see as the situation, for example, of Islamic women here in the United States, by contrast with other parts mm -hmm. of the world? We've been talking about Europe, we've talked about Turkey. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I didn't meet much many Islamic women here personally, but I've been following their videos. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are very much present on YouTube and they explain their beliefs, why they practice, what they believe. And uh, so I, one 
observation I have is that mm. the language of feminism is mm. very much used and appropriated by Islamic women, Muslim women. Here in the U.S.? Here in the U.S. So, I mean, we, we've, we've been talking about the mainstreaming of feminism, mm. like the appropriation of feminist language by neoliberal economy, like situating, empowering women as consumers. Mm. So, and uh, the Muslim women, they, they use the feminist vocabulary quite a lot. So mm. they use the language of choice. So if, if I cover, this is my choice. And they use the language of, language of empowerment. Mm. They say that the practice of uh, covering the hijab empowers them and gives them control over their bodies mm -hmm. and they decide who will see their bodies, who will not. And so they they appropriated feminist language. And of course there are, uh, I mean the, there is what has been termed uh, an Islamic feminism and this is uh, Criticized, it is about criticizing patriarchal practices from within religion mm. and with reference to the religious texts. Mm. And Abina Badud, uh, an African American Muslim uh, female leader, she, she does it very well. Mm. And we just watched. A video about her life a couple of weeks ago and it was it was a big hit in our class and she she, she explains the relationships between uh, the african-american muslims uh, in the states and the muslims who migrated from from the muslim countries and how the relationship is in fact a tense relationship mm -hmm. she, she she talks about that and she talks about how she uh, blended her Muslim identity with her African-American identity and used Islam to resist racism in mm. the United States. Mm -hmm. And she is also one of the uh, founding members of Sisters in Islam in Malaysia, which is a very active a Muslim feminist organization and so and when I look at these debates when I read these authors I mean I, I see that there are very lively debates going on mm. so so many Muslim women don't see themselves as mm. victims as victims of right. patriarchy or or religion and many of them use a feminist language mm, to mm, be able to mm. uh, explain their lives. Nezra, we've got about five, ten minutes left. I wondered if in that time you could outline for us projects you're working on now or projects you have for the future. I'm very aware that your job here is very intensive in terms of teaching, so mm -hmm. there probably is very little time for yeah, research, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Right. to the extent that you can plan such things that's or right. execute them, where are you at the moment yeah. and where do you see things headed? Yeah. 
So I uh, contribute time to time uh, to one of uh, to an alternative news network uh, in Turkey, Bianet. 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 And when when uh, a debate going on in Turkey kind of alarms me or stimulates me, I mm. write a piece to them and join the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I write mostly about uh, feminism and gender. And I have, I mean, one of the projects that I want to pursue is that uh, I want to work on this uh, comparative project that uh, compares the viewpoints of conservative uh, female opinion leaders mm -hmm. uh, in Turkey and in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see to, to, what, to what extent their uh, views diverge and converge. Mm -hmm. And I expect a lot of convergence. Yes. So yes. even though, uh, I mean, even though they, they would probably stereotype each other, they would uh, look at themselves as like the representatives of the West or maybe the Muslim woman, whatever. Mm. I expect a lot of commonalities. They might dress differently, but they might have the same views on masculinity, yes. femininity, yes. abortion, sexuality. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So mm. I have uh, a project on that. And another project, this is uh, about the recreat recreative dress. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking at the debates over the use of public uh, beaches in Turkey mm -hmm. and I've been following these debates for a while and uh, I'm, I'm comparing different instances of mm -hmm. these debates mm -hmm. and I'm looking at how uh, masculinity mm -hmm. is defined in relation to uh, the proper dress in the beach mm -hmm. so I mean it, it is it is very much related uh, to gender, to class. So if if as a man mm. you you don't follow the proper beach etiquette, mm -hmm. let's say mm -hmm. uh, the proper for for the middle class, yeah. you can be on the news. And how what is required of me in clothing, for example, in order to satisfy? middle-class etiquette on the beach? You have to... Some... Okay, you, you shouldn't swim uh, with an underwear, but with a swimsuit. Right, yeah. It would be a big difference. Right. Yeah. It would make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't grill, grill on the beach. Oh, uh, so sunbathe, I guess they call yeah. it here, or whatever. Yeah. And, and what about for women? And what about for, for women? You should again have a proper swimsuit. So one piece? One piece. And some, some women in, in public beaches, mm. some women uh, use their regular clothes. Mm. So it is basically about uh, wearing or not wearing a swimsuit mm. while using the beach mm -hmm. 
and this is this is one part of it another uh, part uh, now last year I mean more and more uh, there are those uh, places reserved for human only uh-huh so in instead of mixed beaches mixed beaches yes yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm interested in that That's as fascinating. Well. and uh, to what extent women like them and want yeah. to go them and to, to what extent they see it as as a form of gender segregation and mm. as mm. threatening for gender relations in Turkey mm. for the mm. future and there is also pressure on on men like I mean this is also uh, related with with a debate on whether a proper man should allow uh, his wife or daughters to go to the swimming pool or to go to the beach. Mm. So, if you are doing that, you may not be a proper man. Mm-hmm. And it is it is very much related with the control of sexuality yeah. at the beach. Right. And right. so I've been looking at the uh, conversations and debates going on there so yeah. it is fascinating yes it's a great topic yeah and and so f- for for the opponents uh, if you cannot control your sexuality at the beach mm. maybe maybe then you are not a proper man mm-hmm. so and it's partly controlling your own sexuality and partly controlling the sexuality of women who are close to you yes that is the test of your maleness Wonderful. And in terms of the women at the Women Only Beach, do they have different dress regulations? As far as I know, no. Same dress regulations. I think so. I think they can they can wear whatever they want, mm, mm. like swimsuits, mm. dresses, or mm. uh, Islamic swimsuit. What is and an Islamic swimsuit? Something called an Islamic swimsuit, mm. and it is uh, made of a special f- fabric that, mm-hmm. that doesn't stick, uh, but it is it is like full body covering in right. pants. Right, and is that for men and women or only women? It is for women only. Right, right. and for men, what do they? What is the swimsuit for the them? The swimsuit, a uh, man's swimsuit. Is, is a longer piece of short. So it's going from the waist down to the knee you're yes. gesturing at. Yes. yes. That's, that's it. So that's rather it. like the what are called board shorts here in the United States, whereas in Europe or, say, Australia, people would wear the little Speedos, the mm-hmm, men, mm-hmm. right? Which are, or in Brazil also, it's more form-hugging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah interesting. U.S. women don't like uh, their men in, in straight contexts wearing... Speedos. I've been told off by girlfriends in the past oh. for presenting myself in this way. In Turkey, that would be co- common during the 1970s and right, 80s. Right. And then, I don't know, I think it, it is also probably a wave in fashion. It's a wave in fashion. And yeah. sometimes when we get so caught up in enchantment and de-enchantment, we f- disenchantment, we forget about things like yeah. fashion, which are also important. And, right? and there is a huge market for Islamic swimsuit. Wonderful. I've never looked into this, and I should have. That's really fascinating. I'm going to go and look for them online. Well, listen, Ezra, thank you so, so much for giving your time this afternoon. It's been wonderful talking to you. We've spent a lot of time together today, haven't we? 
yeah. in different ways because we were in a couple of classes earlier. But I enjoyed is, each one of them very, very much. Yeah, this has been really stimulating for me and I hope you'll come back into the pod soon and I think we should both be wearing Islamic swimsuits next time. How's that? So next time... Uh, when I go to Istanbul this summer, I yeah. will bring you an Islamic Great, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> Fantastic.